amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Something Rhymes with Purple. If you're new to our podcast, it's all about words and language. And it's hosted by me, Charles Brandreth, and my good friend, Susie Dent. Susie is a leading lexicographer. She's an author. She's a television personality. And she's just a brilliant human being. How are you today, Susie? Thank you. Yes, I'm very well, thank you. The sun is positively shining and I have been appricating outside during my lunch break. You've been what? Outside? Appricating. Oh, this is enjoying apricity. Well, apricity is, is more specifically winter. To appricate is simply to bask in the rays of the sun. Now spell that word for us. Uh, A-P-R-I-C-A-T-E and not at least not in its more recent incarnations linked to apricot, although it's tempting to think of it in the same way. Apricot is is from a web in. So what is the origin of this word appricating? Just a Latin word, a very rare, rare, I think, Latin word apricari, to bask in the sun. But that actually is what the word means. The Latin word means yes. to bask in the sun, apricari. Well, if you've just joined our podcast, you'll discover already what it's about. It's where Susie Dent introduces us to new words. Uh, sometimes they're very old words like that one. Uh, other times they really are brand new words. That features in every episode. We have three interesting words from Susie. We also usually have a poem from me. And often I choose the poem based on whatever the conversation is that Susie and I have had before, you know, while we're actually doing the podcast. I think, oh, that would be appropriate. Mm -hmm. But I've recently been dipping into, again, the works of one of my favourite authors, who was a novelist, a poet, but is best known as a playwright, and that is Noel Coward, who was born in 1899. So we're coming up to the 125th anniversary of his birth. And I've recently been to see a revival of one of his earliest and most successful plays, The Vortex. And I was reading, and I'm going to read at the end of this episode, one of his song lyrics, which I think works as a poem. And it's a famous song called Poor Little Rich Girl. And does this, do you know this song at all? It's been revived over the years, but it contains a phrase in it, which is relevant to what we're going to talk about. And the phrase Mm -hmm. is, cocktails and laughter, but what comes after? Nobody knows. The rest of the poem, you'll have to wait till the end of the podcast for. But cocktails and laughter, I hope, are what this episode is going to be all about. Do you enjoy a cocktail? I love a cocktail. I am the only drinker um, between us, aren't I? Because I know you, you no longer drink cocktails. I am... A notorious lightweight. So one cocktail is enough for me and enough for everyone <laughs> for everyone else when they're with me because I literally go quite faint and then have to eat a lot of food and then <laughs> go to sleep. Um, so, but I love cocktails. But there, there are non-alcoholic cocktails, aren't there? So I could, oh, I mocktails. could be drinking cocktails. But can you begin by telling us the origin of the word cocktail? I wish I could oh. because it is, oh, the origins are so elusive. Um, so do you remember a word 
programme called Balderdash and Piffle, which British listeners to um, Something Rhymes with Purple may remember. Do you remember this? It was no. I was very sad not to be part of it. I wasn't asked. And it was it was quite a few years ago now, and it was essentially part of a big national effort by the Oxford English Dictionary to find printed records of words dating earlier from the ones that they'd found because they were convinced that certain words and expressions must have been around for longer than the first records they had. And one of those words was cocktail. And they had lots of celebrities on there trying to hunt things down and, you know, just basically leading the word hunt themselves for that little section. And Jerry Hall actually uh, talked about the word cocktail. And it's first mentioned in 1803 in a New Hampshire newspaper called The Farmer's Cabinet. And it's in a diary of a lounger. And it goes, drank a glass of cocktail, excellent for the head. Called at the doctor's, drank another glass of cocktail. So we don't know what drink it was, but clearly it had quite a therapeutic effect. And then within about three years later, it was becoming a little bit more, you know, familiar. Now, lots and lots of different theories to this. One is that there was simply the feather from a cockerel that was actually put in the drink, much as we might get a little paper umbrella in there now, that it was actually used to decorate the cocktail once it was served. Uh, There's another theory that actually the cocktail's feather was used to stir the different spirits that were put on. uh, So, you know, the physical act of mixing ingredients together. Uh, There's another origin that that leads us back to a French term, cocktail, which is a type of little tiny container in which beverages were once served. So imagine you're taking a tequila shot, or you were at one point, Giles, and it was kind of similar size and that that evolved into cocktail. There's another less common, but still, that it comes from Mexican Spanish term, cola de gallo, meaning a rooster's tail. And that, again, goes takes us back to the garnish. So honestly, it's such a subject of debate. I think I just simply like the rooster's feather idea, but, but we still don't know. Well, we'll go with the rooster's feather. In my drinking days, I liked wine. I liked yeah. sparkling wine as well. Uh, and I occasionally would have vodka and orange juice, Mm -hmm. which I think is called, is that called a mimosa, correctly? Uh, I think that's what it could be called. And I liked also Bloody Mary, which is vodka and tomato juice, isn't it? It is. I don't recall really having any gin-based cocktails, though I did for a while go a phase of really loving a gin and tonic. I've only ever had two whiskies in my life. Mm. One was when I was in northern France and went to a bar where I had heard that Jean-Paul Sartre was hanging out. And the idea of being in the same room with Jean-Paul Sartre was irresistible. And I went there, I had to order a drink, I didn't know what to order, so I somehow ordered a whiskey. The whiskey was disappointing and worse, and and in fact I ended up pouring it away. Um, And even more disappointing was that Jean-Paul Sartre didn't turn up. Oh, I so would love to be able to drink whiskey. I'd love to say also, can I have a scotch on the rocks? Because it just sounds really good. It gives you that gravelly voice and it gives you gravitas. I just hate it. It's very sad. I did once have a scotch on the rocks offered to me in in a house in Regent's Park. I was about 19 or 20 at the time. I accepted it and then I took a sip and I clearly couldn't drink it. So what I did was I was sitting on a, a sort of low chair an armchair in a large drawing room and the the master of the house who was the father, the distinguished father of the girl who was my friend who had invited me to meet her parents. And I poured the whiskey from the glass into my shoes. 
<laughs> and to get rid of it, hoping that oh, the dear. moisture would be absorbed by my socks. And I poured it first, half of it into one shoe and then half into the other shoe. And it seemed to settle there. And all was well <laughs> until the time came for me to leave when I got oh, up and squelched, about. squelched oh. across the carpet, leaving these terrible oh, shoe no. marks in the shape. Oh, That's not good. Oh, God. I mean, you know, here I am all these years later remembering it. Mm. Yes. Uh, well, mortifying. We all have our... Yes. But I'm just going to say, I do like a hot toddy. So that I will I will take a whiskey and a hot toddy. I think that's good. Hot water, sugar, spices. That That is really nice. But I, I can't do it neat, I'm afraid, which... But what you've chosen for us today is a selection of amusing, famous cocktails and the interesting names they have. So never mind my mimosa. Or was that peach juice? No, how many a mimosa is champagne? Oh, I'm going to let this up for you. Please, would you look up a mimosa for me and find out what it is? Because it is champagne and orange juice. Champagne and orange juice. Yes. Very good. So, um, what what is vodka and orange juice? Oh, do you know what? I think we need our producer Naya to come in here because I, I don't. You just call it a vodka and orange, I think, can't you? Really? Don't you? I think so. I mean, we ought to know more about this vodka. There's oh, a Cape Cod is a vodka and cranberry. I'm looking that up Ooh, now. That sounds nice. Vodka and orange. This is fun. Vodka and orange juice. Let's see what it's called. Vodka and orange juice. It's a screwdriver. That's the word I was oh, looking for. A okay. screwdriver. For okay. goodness sake. I'm sorry. I'm saying I'm saying not an expert. I wonder why it's called a screwdriver. Maybe we shouldn't go there because some of them are incredibly... Cheeky and, and rude. Close to the knuckle, well, maybe, Actually, maybe you're right. It drives you to screwing because you've had too many too many screwdrivers and how do, what do you end up doing? I don't know. Do you haven't asked me for my favourite cocktail of the moment? Ah, do you, I mean, is, I, well, tell me. I, I, you can lead from now on in. First of all, Susie Dent, what is your favourite cocktail of the moment? Well, one of my local cafes does this amazing gin fizz. So this is gin, prosecco and elderflower cordial. Ooh. Oh, it is superb. It's a little bit lethal as well, though. So one is all I can take, but absolutely lovely. Can I say, I go to a cafe for a cup of tea and a scone. You well, go, this is evening. Uh, I wouldn't have this in the morning or the afternoon. Uh, in the evening. And you yeah. go there and you have, what's it called again, this thing? It's just called a gin fizz, I think. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure it's got a more elegant name. Do you go in on your own and say I have a gin fizz? No, I don't go on my own. I don't really drink on my own, do you? No, you don't drink no, at I all. No, I don't drink at all. Uh, why did you stop drinking, incidentally? I stopped. Well, I was in the 1990s. I was a member of parliament. And by mm. the time I lost my seat, my wife said to me, you were put on two stone. I and, wonder, politics must drive you to drinking, surely. Well, it was because in my day, there were lots of late nights and then indeed yeah. there were even all night sittings. And I was a government whip, which meant I was there. Literally, when Parliament was sitting, I was there from about seven, at the latest eight, usually seven in the morning, until we shut up shop which was yeah. 11 o'clock at night or sometimes later, sometimes Oof. right through the night. And therefore, I would literally eat and sleep there. And yeah. in the evenings, you'd go to the member's bar and you'd have a few drinks there and then you'd go and have dinner and you'd have a few drinks there. Mm. And then you'd find, well, you've got another hour to wait for the next vote and you'd have another drink. And so... Did you I, not just fall asleep all the time? Yes, and there was a lovely... Uh, the library has, has in it, particularly in the third room, which was my favourite room, known as the quiet room, it had leather armchairs that had extensions on that were like a bed. Oh, yeah. So you could go in there and you could sleep it off. And and, and you did. So I basically, I put on weight through eating and drinking too much. So mm-hmm. I thought to lose weight, I will give up drink. 
and I gave up drink completely overnight and did indeed lose the weight. And after about six months, I thought, oh, I have a glass of wine. And it gave me a, a, oh, a headache, almost a migraine. Mm. And I thought, oh, I'll, I'll steer clear. And then a week later, another glass of wine. Just need to get back into it. And I began seeing stars, literally, you know, bright lights in my eyes. I had to lie down. Uh, I thought, this is bad. I went to see the doctor. And he said, oh, no, it's probably your age. Um, you know, just I mean, it doesn't suit you anymore. You could try having organic wine. And I thought, oh, I don't want to bother this. He said, you can try spirits. I thought, ah, forget it. So I thought, I will give up alcohol completely. And I truly have hardly missed it at all. Yeah. I, for a, I still would like the ritual at six o'clock to mark the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, and I do have, as you know, my Fortnum & Mason sparkling tea. And you're tea. still <laughs> hoping for a Fortnum & Mason's lorry to turn up one day. <laughs> I <laughs> am. But as you know, they, they did send me one they bottle. They give you one bottle. <laughs> one bottle. So I want, but at your Gin Fizz Palace that you go to, mm. do they do non-alcoholic cocktails? Will you take me oh, there yeah, one yeah. day? Lots of them. So mocktail actually dates back to the 1930s, so clearly we've been having this for a little while. But mocktail. first of all, I'm going to start Gosh. with the alcoholic ones. Please. Because uh, they are the ones that are most well established when it comes to their nomenclature. So, um, mojito. So, I will start with a mojito. Do, do you know what a mojito is? I've heard of a mojito. I have no yeah. idea what a mojito is. Okay, so this is white rum, lime or lemon juice, sugar, mint, ice and fizzy water. Uh, and it is very nice. And we think this comes from uh, simply something that gives you mojo. So Cuban Spanish mojo is not, not the mojo that actually is the magic charm or talisman or spell. That actually goes back to an African word, witchcraft, meaning witchcraft, mocha. But actually, this is a Cuban sauce or marinade. It's something sort of quite spicy. I think it's got garlic and sour oranges in it and things. Anyway, the origin of that is a Spanish word meaning to make wet and obviously you wet your whistle when you have your mojito very nice so that's I, that one i like a mojito and as you name yeah. each of these tell me if you've actually had one you've obviously had a mojito because you say have, you like it yes i have had a, um, a mojito and uh you yeah, know they are they are very nice i'm not amazing on spirits but you know so I, I don't have them very often but anyway that is very nice then there's the margarita now i think i have heard of this one but what does it contain i don't know is this so got this te- is tequila, tequila in it Yes. And tequila is a kind of rum. Is that right? Uh, tequila? No? That's a very good question, actually. Tequila, we have tequila shots famously. I think it's made from an agave plant. So I don't, I don't think it is rum. Because it's made after, um, named after the town of tequila in Mexico. And it's, you know, agave, we have agave nectar now, which is the sort of sweetener that a lot of people use, the, made from the sap of the agave tree or plant. So I think that's what it's based on. So uh, anyway, back to margarita. That is simply from the Spanish meaning Margaret. And you might possibly have a margarita with your margarita pizza, which is spelled differently. That's M-A-G-H-E-R-I-T-A. That's pizza top with, well, that's your basic one, isn't it? It's cheese, tomato, basil also traditionally. And that was named after Margarita of Savoy, who was Queen Consort um, of Italy in the 19th century. And the toppings of the margarita, that cheese, tomato and basil, represent the three colours of the Italian flag. That's clever. Uh, So the the margarita drink is is tequila and lime juice, isn't it? Tequila and, yes, some kind of citrus juice. Very good. Uh, We should issue a health warning here to say to people, you don't have to drink these things to enjoy the language and don't drink too much of them. I was reading, I don't know if you've read or listened to Prince Harry's book, Spare. 
Mm. Uh, well, he mm. describes in it having magic mushrooms not that many years ago at a party mm. in Hollywood. I think it was in Hollywood. And as a result of these man magic mushrooms, he, he then, to take away the sort of strange feeling, he had a series of tequila shots, um, oh. which resulted in him hallucinating and sort of he found himself in the loo talking to the toilet. Oh, right, so I remember that episode. I, I listened to the audible version where it was him reading it. He was actually a very, very good narrator, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, I, enjoy, I, I, I found it completely fascinating. But it is a warning, yeah. please. Yeah. Go carefully when it comes to alcohol. Okay, give us another yeah. one. Drink responsibly. Mai Tai. Now, I've definitely never had a Mai Tai. It sounds very exotic and it probably tastes very exotic because it's got rum. Now, how do you pronounce this? Is it Curacao? Oh, Curacao. Yes, I think it is. Yes, Curacao. So that is liqueur, isn't it? And it tastes like bitter oranges. I think it's actually made from the peel of bitter oranges. Anyway, back to the Mai Tai. It's Curacao, light rum and um, various other fruit juices. So it sounds very nice. Um, it's actually... Polynesian and commonly believed to mean good or excellent in uh, Tahitian, actually. And they're very much associated with Polynesian culture and its wonderful tropical settings. People who make these things, I've seen the sign up saying the mixologist is now on duty. They're called mixologists, aren't they? The people who yes. the cocktail yes. creators. Now, that's interesting. I'm going to see, because everyone thinks probably of, of the film Cocktail and Tom Cruise. Have you ever seen that? Not, not that I remember. Absolute classic. Okay. Well, mixologist. Where, if I were to ask you, Giles, how old do you think that word is? What would you say? I would say, now it's going to be as early as the 1940s. Actually, can you believe this? It's a century earlier, 1856. No. Yes. Oh, I'm amazed. I know. And there's a quote in the OED uh, from 1870 where it says the most delicate fancy drinks are compounded by skillful mixologists in a style that captivates the public. Well, Isn't that incredible? That is that's amazing. much, much more modern. So that's that one. And actually, mixology is, yeah, similar, 1870s. So that's been around for a very long time. Pina Colada. Now, that was the kind of height of exoticism when I was growing up. You must have had one of those. I don't think. Uh, do you know? I'm. I'm thinking. I'm so no. Uh, I'm so po-faced, or was so po-faced, which I now know, thanks to you, could well be from the chamber pot that the phrase po-faced comes. That I think I was rather. I mean, oh, I, I don't think I told you that. Oh, didn't you? Things like pina colada. I. I, I wouldn't have had them. I, I mean, I'd have had maybe a gin and tonic, possibly uh, a vodka and something but i wouldn't mm. have had these cocktails i don't think i would okay or a glass of wine well, pina colada is one of the most famous and I, it reminds me of the sort of 1970s dinner parties where pina colada as i say was the height of fancy so it's it's, it's got coconut in it yeah it? coconut pineapple juice uh what else you put in a pina colada rum? so it's it's rum it's it's essentially strained pineapple is what that means pina colada so yeah rum pineapple juice and coconut but um yes much nicer in spanish than it is in <laughs> you can call a cocktail strained pineapple but that's what it means and that's what it means pina colada means as in a colander is that the word colada yes exactly right strained and pina as in pineapple yes Oh, well, if you stop to think about it, it's very, very straightforward, isn't it? It is. It is. So there's that one. There's a Dakiri, which is then also the name of a beach uh, near Santiago de Cuba. Um, and the drink was supposedly invented by a mining engineer, because there's an iron mine there as well, um, who was in Cuba at the time of the Spanish-American War. So that is um, is the idea. How do you pronounce this? Dakiri. So D. AI. Oh, you mean as in daiquiri? Oh, daiquiri sorry, see, I've never had one. So daiquiri. 
All the purple people will be laughing in unison at my pronunciation of that. Daiquiri. No, I'm only saying daiquiri because I think I've heard it said in movies. I'll have a daiquiri. Okay. Um, but I yes. thought daiquiri was a uh, was a make of. No, it's well, it's a it's an epi- uh, toponym. So it's a rum producing district in Cuba, but oh. it's rum and lime is a daiquiri. And actually, I'm pleased to say I've just looked up the pronunciation in Oxford dictionaries online. It gives us both. Yeah. That's good. Well done. Yes. Um, and I give you one more. Martini. Oh. Everyone, I mean, martini, shaken, not stirred, all of that. Different theories for this one as well. Obviously, you've got the martini brand of vermouth. But there was also a cocktail called the Martinez that was served in the 1860s in a hotel in San Francisco. And people would regularly go there before t- taking an evening ferry. So well, one of the things that you do know, and we, we can talk about Bellinis and things as well, is um, they're often named after people, bartenders who created things. And it's the same with food, actually. Nacho is another example. Um, or the places where they were first made. So, yeah, that, that those seem to be the two driving forces, really, behind cocktail names. Well, will you give us a couple more when we come back? We've got time for those. Because yeah. I want to know more about the Negroni. And also, I think there's a cocktail called Gunfire. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters, without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Welcome back to the pub crawl around the language of cocktails. And as the purple people listening to this will have gathered, neither Giles nor I are particularly experienced at drinking lots of cocktails. So this is as much a voyage of discovery as we hope it is for you. Now, you asked me about the Negroni, didn't you? Yes. So you know what a Negroni is? No. Gin, vermouth and Campari. Do you remember those Campari ads? I do. Of oh, were those the wonderful advertisements with Leonard Rossiter and Joan Collins? Wasn't it Lorraine Chase as well? Was that something else? Oh, maybe. Uh, hang on, I'm going to look it up now. <laughs> They're totally useless here. <laughs> no, there was, there absolutely was Joan Collins. And can I say, the contents of these drinks are not making me feel nostalgic for alcohol at all. No. Vermouth, I mean, that, this doesn't tempt me. Okay, Campari, Campari advert, it was Lorraine Chase, and she would say, Luton Airport, when she was advertising something very, very exotic, and it was very funny. And Joan Collins and Leonard Rossiter, it was, wasn't that Martini? That was Cinzano. Cinzano, of course. Yes. Uh, yeah, that was excellent. Do you know, I think it was Noel Card's recipe for a martini was to take mm. a large glass, fill it with gin, and then wave it vaguely in the direction of Italy. 
Um, well, just before we get to the Negroni, I, I mentioned just before the break that actually um, many are really plainly associated with their birthplaces. So you've got the Manhattan, you've got the Singapore Sling, you've got the Bucks Fizz, which was apparently first made at London's Bucks oh, Club. Yes. And as I say, Martini may have been from Martinez, the city in Western California. But some are to do with names and not always actually the name of the mixologist that created them. So the Bellini is a lovely exception. So the Bellini, which I have had a Bellini and I'm now reminding myself, tap, tap, tap. I certainly have had many a Bellini. That I did love. Have you? You can tell me what's in there then. I think it's peach juice and Prosecco, mm. uh, because I feel that I first had it uh, many years yeah. ago, about 40 years ago, in Venice. Lovely. Does that Lovely. sound right? Well, the kind of thing that you get yes. if you went into Harry's Bar. Absolutely. And it was said to have been invented in Venice. But do you know what it has to do... Well, do you know who Vini- Bellini was, for a start? Well, there were an artist called Bellini, a great artist. Absolutely. Giovanni Bellini was a very famous Venetian artist, as you say. And there was a major exhibition of his work in 1940. And it is said that the cocktail was created by Giuseppe Cipriani because he wanted to reproduce the sumptuous tones that you would find in Bellini's art. Isn't that lovely? Lovely. And actually, Cipriani also, the the creator of the Bellini, also said to be behind Carpaccio, the, the dish of raw meat that you will have, again, neither of us will know that because we're veggie. But that was named along the same lines after the scarlet-robed figures that feature in another artist called Vittore Carpaccio. Oh, I didn't didn't know that about Carpaccio. But uh, Cipriani, Mm. I do know, and I've actually stayed at the Cipriani Hotel, owned by the Cipriani family. Yes. Oh, wow. Which is marvellous. And I've also been to their wonderful restaurant that they have on the island of Torcello, which is an island off. Yeah. That sounds so romantic, Torcello. Oh, oh can I tell you, it is romantic. So that's at the northern end of the Venetian Lagoon, isn't it, Torcello? It is. It's absolutely but marvellous. Yeah, beautiful. I just, love, I just absolutely love the name of it. Um, right. I think it is time to get off the booze and to move towards our lovely purple people themselves and get some correspondence in. Yes. Let us sober up. And who has been in touch with us recently? Well, the first question comes from, and apologies for the mispronunciation that is inevitable when I pronounce this, Kai Hung. I hope that's right, Kai. So it's K-H-A-I and then H-O-O-N-G. Dear Susie and Giles, I would like to inquire about the origin of the following words, study, sturdy and steady. Mm. And Kai says that they want to know if these words are connected in any way. How interesting. It is interesting. And I am probably going to disappoint you completely, Uh, Kai, because the answer is no. But they do have quite interesting stories behind them. Well, some of them do. So I'll start with study. That's possibly the least interesting. Came into English from the French, étudier, to study. But both of those words are based on the Latin studium, which actually meant taking real care, so painstaking application to a task in hand. Then you have steady. And steady is from the Old English stead, which meant a place. And you'll find relatives in lots of different languages. There's Stadt in German, and it also gave us stand, if you take it back far enough. Instead, 
is in place of, we have steadfast, which is standing firm or fast, homestead, etc. So if you are steady, you are not easily moved from your place. So place is the important word there. And finally, sturdy, this is my favourite one. So this takes us all the way back to the Latin word for a thrush. So if you, uh, the bird, if you look at the scientific name for a thrush, it's turdus, T-U-R-D-U-S, turdus or turdus. And it's a little bit of a strange story, but we think that what happened was that thrushes in Roman vineyards would often feed on grapes that had fermented on the vine and then fall into the ground. And thrushes would eat these and get slightly tipsy. And still in French, if you are soul comme une grive, you are drunk as a thrush. So nowadays we might say pissed as a newt. In those days, you would say drunk as a thrush. And the very first meaning of sturdy really was stunned or dazed as though you had drunk a little bit too much. Mm. And if you were stunned or dazed, you could become a little bit reckless. You could also become a little bit intractable and a bit obstinate. And so sturdy came to mean someone who would not move and who was a little bit intransigent. And then, I mean, what a journey this word has had, it came on to mean someone who was sort of solid, if you like, in every different way. So a cupboard may be sturdy, a person may be sturdy if they're solidly built. A bike might be sturdy enough to withstand you know, big bumps in the road, that kind of thing. But yeah, what a journey from being drunk as a thrush to being strongly built. Well, the, thank you for that, Susie. And journeys are made by people who listen to our podcast because we get communications from all over the world uh, sent to us mm-hmm. at our uh, current address, which is purplepeople at somethingrhymes.com. And this message comes from Elsa Kindy, who writes to us most charmingly. Hello, Susie and Giles. I'm an avid word nerd with an interest in etymology. While I love finding obscure, obsolete, and unusual words, I'm fond of taking a closer look at the ones we use every day. My question relates to one such word. I was recently pondering the word yet. It's a bit of a throwaway word in modern use, but it has a poignant punch in literary places. I was hoping you might be able to shed some light on where this word originated and how it came to be used. Much lexical love from the United States, Elza Kindy. Okay, that was a charming voice note, wasn't it? Do you know, I absolutely loved this question because it's quite a profound question, really. And just the straightforward dictionary answer doesn't do it justice, which is that it simply was used in Old English and it has lots of what we call cognates or relatives in different languages, including the German jetzt, meaning now. But yet as Elsa says, is a bit of a throwaway word. We use it in so many different ways. I'll just have a look at how versatile this word is. So it can mean at the present time or now, as in, are they here yet? It can mean thus far, as in, he's not come yet. It can mean in the time still remaining, there is yet time. It can mean in addition or again, as in, oh, we've had yet another email. Or it can mean though, or nevertheless, as in, it's okay, yet I feel like it could be better. So all of those different uses. And there's not a lot I can say to you, except that this just 
shows how elastic our vocabulary is, that we can take a three-letter word and use it in so many different ways. And I would direct you to, it's not its not really a straight answer to your question, but there's a lovely YouTube video, which is called The Power of Yet. And it was done essentially by Dr. Carol Dweck, who is quite well known in um, business circles, because she talks a lot about growth mindsets, which I know is a term that gets quite a lot of um, flack these days. But she tells the story of how when, I don't think it's when she went, it might have been when she went to school or whether it was someone she met went to school. And if they had failed their paper, the teacher wouldn't say fail or not good enough or whatever. They would just write the two words, not yet. Oh. Which is just lovely. And it just, she said it means the world because it basically says you can do this you're just not there yet, which I just think is lovely. And it's a very nice video, which which takes you much beyond that single word yet and what it means, but it's just a really lovely thing to, to look at. So I can't really tell you why English speakers decided to take it in so many different directions, but I just think it's joyful that they did. And, and thank you for your question, because I loved it. The potentially mythical beast, the Yeti, the, oh, yeah. which could also be the abominable snowman, <laughs> That has no yeah. connection with the word yet. Still no. to be discovered, I thought. Maybe maybe yeti? I don't know. Oh, I like that. Yeah, no, absolutely nothing. So that is from a native language. And I think it means bear of the mountain or something, I think is what it means. So I think it's, oh no, here it is. It's from Tibetan and Sherpa, the local language. And it, it might mean an animal of a rocky place, but a little man-like animal is, is the idea there. So absolutely nothing to do with yet yet. Well, wherever you are in the world, if you've got a query about words and language, or indeed anything you want to share with us, do please get in touch. You simply have to send us an email. It's purplepeople, all one word, at somethingrhymes, all one word, dot com. Now, Susie, yes. we always have a trio, three interesting words from you. What have you conjured up for us this week? Uh, I have starting with a lovely word from the Scots Dictionaries, and you know that I do love looking at the Scottish Dictionaries online, which have lots and lots of historical Dictionaries of Scots in them. Malifuff, a Malifuff. If you are Malifuff, it's from the 19th century, it means you are feckless and you're entirely incapable of doing anything energetic or positive or meaningful. Malifuff. Oh, I'm feeling very Malifuff today. And the, as ever, the M-A-L is bad. Bad. That's simply when anything yes. is malevolent or malicious or anything that's got mal at the beginning suggests something that's untoward. Exactly. And the fuff bit is just a bit like sort of faff fuffle, fluffy. It's just sort of, it, it's never a particularly good thing, is it? Although fluffy can be a good thing, to be fair. The next one is, oh, I, this, is, this is just a, a personal one that I threw in because I was listening to someone on the news the other day who clearly had a very, very bad cold and sounded like he had very bad sinuses. And he was nasolating. He was speaking <laughs> through his nose. Um, and that's from the 1863, the first record, just in case you need to know what it's called, nasolating. Um, and finally, something that I think will maybe have resonance for lots of us right now. It's quite hard to make ends meet in lots of different ways, isn't it? Um, we are scrittle scrattling around. Scrittle scrattle. Difficulty in making ends meet. That's from late 19th century dialect. It's interesting. It's an old word to describe a contemporary sensation. Scrittle scrattling. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Interesting. Tell me uh, your poem today. What, what have you chosen? Well, 
I'm going to give you the poem I promised, which is a lyric by Noel Coward. But first, I see if I can remember one of my favourite short poems, because we've been talking about cocktails. And yeah. this is by Dorothy Parker, the great Dorothy Parker, American humorist, writer, and a lady who had her own drink problems that were serious for her. Oh. But she made fun of them in some of her poems, and certainly in this very short poem. I like to have a martini. Two at the very most. After three, I'm under the table. After four, I'm under the host. <laughs> a naughty poem, but great fun from the great Dorothy Parker. <laughs> yeah, I think I've heard that one before. Now here are the lyrics of a song by Noel Coward called Poor Little Rich Girl. And I've chosen it simply because it contains that phrase that I find so evocative, cocktails and laughter, but what comes after? Poor little rich girl, you're a bewitched girl, better take care. Laughing at danger, virtuous stranger, better beware. The life you lead sets all your nerves a jangle. Your love affairs are in a hopeless tangle. Though you're a child, dear, your life's a wild typhoon. In lives of leisure, the craze for pleasure steadily grows. Cocktails and laughter, but what comes after, nobody knows. You're weaving love into a mad jazz pattern ruled by pantaloon. Poor little rich girl, don't drop a stitch too soon. You're only a baby, you're lonely, and maybe someday soon you'll know the tears you are tasting are years you are wasting. Life's a bitter foe. With fate, it's no use competing. Youth is so terribly fleeting. By dancing much faster, you're chancing disaster. Time alone will show. In lives of leisure, the craze for pleasure steadily grows. Cocktails and laughter. But what comes after? Nobody knows. Oh, nobody knows indeed. So let's focus on the cocktails and the laughter and on more purple with you by our side. Thank you so much for listening to us today. Thank you so much for continuing to be loyal and for members of the Purple Plus Club. Thank you to you as well. And just a reminder to anyone who is interested, you can get ad-free listening there and bonus episodes on words and language. That was it for today. Something Rhymes with Purple is a Sony Music Entertainment production produced by Naya Dio with additional production from Hannah Newton, Chris Skinner, Jen Mystery, Gully and our wonderful engineer, Richie. Do you know Gully is a very good name for a cocktail? I wonder what it contains. Mm -hmm. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com.